Good morning, everyone. Jane Kenyon was a poet who died in 1995 at the young age of 47 from cancer. I don't know much about her life, but toward the end of her life, she wrote a beautiful poem, a short poem, one of my favorites by Jane Kenyon, entitled Let Evening Come. The poem depicts the ending of a day uh, out on a farm. And you get the idea of the writer being on the front porch of a farmhouse watching the sun set. And the last line of the poem goes like this. Let it come as it will, and don't be afraid. God does not leave us comfortless, so let evening come. Jane Kenyon, in the great crisis of her life, identified who was in charge, and it was not Jane Kenyon. But knowing who was in charge became a great comfort to her. And she wrote, so let evening come. One of the early painful lessons of life for anyone who has ever lived is in discovering who is in charge and who isn't. And knowing that, knowing who it is who is in charge and being able to trust that person and know them as a person of love and kindness can bring great comfort in life. One of the things I believe with all of my heart right now is that one day we will be done with this pandemic. One day the coronavirus will be something in the past. A day is coming when news reports will not have a daily death count. A day is coming when people will be able to sit in restaurants and order food and enjoy friends. A day is coming when old friends will, will unite, reunite, and will hug. A day is coming in which business will be in person and not on Zoom. And children, believe it or not, will be able to go to school and weddings and funerals will be attended by friends and loved ones. Masks will only come out at Halloween. A day is coming in which I'm not going to be binge-watching British detective shows. A day is coming in which toilet paper is going to be plentiful and the Dallas Cowboys will return to greatness. I mean, one day. Well, maybe not that last one. The one thing that I do know, though, is that navigating this pandemic at the individual level and the corporate level of the church is difficult. Navigating this pandemic is not easy. It's like building a bridge while you're trying to cross it at the same time. There is a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the world. Contradicting theories abound on planet Earth. Information shifts. Opinions vary. And there is still no vaccine. But we, as disciples of Jesus, we know who is still in charge. It's God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. In the middle of the chaos, the confusion, and the clatter, we believe as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, as people of faith, as Christians, we believe that a great and loving and gracious and kind God is still enthroned in heaven. And from his throne, he is sovereign over heaven and earth. There's this really great quote by Evelyn Underhill, shared with you before, you've heard it probably a million times, but the quote goes like this. She says, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshiped. How true that is. If we can figure God out, if God is so small that we can figure him out, then God is not only not big enough to be worshipped, he's not big enough to take care of our problems. Now to Israel, in a crisis, back in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, God reminds them, in their crisis, who is still in charge. 
And in that great chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, which I would challenge you to read sometime today and just contemplate on all of the ways that God describes himself to this nation in crisis, he says to Israel, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. What a great way to, to have our minds expanded about the greatness of God. As disciples of Jesus, we recognize and trust God to be in control of what we can't control, which is a lot. We recognize and trust God to know what to us is unknowable. We recognize and trust God to love us and to be gracious to us and, and, and to be kind to us and to bless us through whatever we face, regardless of how painful or threatening. I love this passage from Romans chapter 8 and think about it often. Paul writes to the church, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from that love? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, and Paul is thinking about all of the, the, the nightmarish, worst case scenario, horrific things, circumstances, situations that could come on a human being in his time and culture. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, including pandemics, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The big question is these words do we believe them to be true? Do we believe them to be true? Not just when Paul was writing them, but to be true today in this present pandemic that we live in. And if we believe them to be true, do they bring us any comfort? And if they bring us comfort, then we can say, let it come as it will. And don't be afraid. God does not leave us comfortless. So let evening come. You know, this present crisis is not the first crisis that the church has ever had to face. In fact, when you think about it, our faith was initiated by people who chose how they would respond to the crisis going against them time after time after time. There is the per persecution against the apostles for preaching, for their preaching in the name of Jesus that started bringing people into the, the church. This persecution turns deadly with the lynching of Stephen, which scattered the church throughout all Judea and Samaria. The crisis of Jew and Gentile, people who had never had really anything to do with each other, but now they are coming together and in the church and they are fellowshipping together and they're eating together and it creates not just a, an ethnic and a cultural crisis, but a theological crisis. And the church faces that. And the pushback from political leaders in every town where the gospel was preached around the Mediterranean world had to be dealt with. And there were big problems with the Roman Empire that would only get bigger. And there are those horrific epidemics of the second and third centuries that the church would have to face and be the representatives of the kingdom of God in that part of the world. But here's the thing. 
when you look at the book of Acts, you begin to see this foundational life. You begin to see this common life with at least three elements to it or components to it that would bring them through these crises as they face them a time, a, you know, time uh, after time after time, again after again after again. And it began with prayer. The disciples were devoted to prayer like Jesus had been devoted to prayer. And they had seen this with their very eyes. They, they were always praying in the critical moments. After Jesus ascends and the apostles are returning to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, that they devoted themselves to prayer. And it wasn't just prayer as kind of an agenda item. It was not just something that they did and could tick it off of their list of things to do during the day. They were devoted to prayer continually. And then in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost rolls around, Peter preaches, Joel chapter 2, the prophecy of the Spirit coming and being poured out on all men comes true. 3,000 people are baptized and they devote themselves, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devote themselves to prayer. Prayer was not just something perfunctory, prayer was not just something that they did thoughtlessly, prayer was something that they were devoted to doing. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, it is at a specific time during the day to pray, the, the, uh, the, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then in Acts chapter 4, after there's this serious initial pushback from the religious leaders, the early church comes together, and when they hear what these guys had gone through, they pray together with one voice, with, with one mouth. They, they, they pray to God, and we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, that the walls were shaken in that place. In Acts chapter 6, the reason that the deacons are first appointed in the church to take care of a, a problem with the distribution of the food to the, Grecian and, uh, to the Grecian and Jewish widows, they are appointed so that the apostles, the religious leaders, the church leaders at that time could be devoted to prayer and, and the ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel is taken to the Gentiles during a time in which there is a lot of prayer that's going on. In Acts chapter 10, you've got... Peter, who's down in Joppa, home of Simon. He's middle of the day. He's hungry. It's about lunchtime. He goes on the roof. He prays. And here comes his vision of a net full of animals, unclean animals, unkosher animals. And he's told to kill and eat. He says, I'll never do it. And God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And the vision ends about the time that this, these fellas from Caesarea Maritima, who have been sent by a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, whose prayers have been heard, take Paul back to, or excuse me, Peter, back to Caesarea Maritima, where he preaches to them the gospel. In Acts chapter 13, the first missionaries are chosen by the church in Antioch to go into the Mediterranean, around the Mediterranean world, through prayer and fasting. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison because of what they're doing in the, the city of Philippi. And in the middle of the night, in that prison, while they're chained together, they're praying. I, you just get the picture. The church was always praying at critical moments. They were anchored in this disruptive time that they were living in. They were anchored to, to that time with a robust prayer life. And the same is true today. And even think about all of the things that they had to pray about during that time. They prayed about those that were grieving with all kinds of losses, the, the loss of home, of, of place, of incomes, of jobs, of safety, of, of loved ones. Uh, they prayed about the displacement of their lives, but they went preaching the word everywhere. And they prayed for the opportunities in the midst of the crises to share the gospel. They even prayed, Paul asked them to pray for him that he might be able to share the gospel in plain language, understandable language. 
Just think about all of the things that we have to pray about today. It calls for a church devoted to prayer like Jesus was devoted to prayer. And for prayer, we also see connectedness, another way of saying fellowship. The church, as you know, and we've talked about this at the beginning of this year, the church did not start as a building, but as a movement of people who had the gospel in common. And having that gospel in common is what made them unique in every city. And it created this phenomenon that is referred to in the Bible as fellowship. And here's the way that Luke describes it in Acts chapter 2. They, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were devoted to being connected to each other. They were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Then in verse 46, they broke bread in their homes. Hospitality, that table fellowship, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, one of the dangers of the present pandemic is for Christians, disciples of Jesus, to become habituated to, to, to learning how to live life without other Christians. I, I want to say this very gently, but but I believe it with all my heart, if our connectedness, our fellowship has to have a building attached to it, then it is not biblical fellowship. Social distancing does not mean disconnecting. We have to continue to be creative and we have to, be, we have to continue to be flexible when it comes to staying in contact with one another and keeping each other vibrant in our faith. And then the last thing would be service. In Acts chapter 10, Peter describes Jesus this way in a sermon that he's preaching to Cornelius. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good. This is the way, one of the ways that Peter is describing Jesus to Cornelius, that Jesus was someone who was going around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. When Jesus came, he did three things. He preached repentance, that is, turn your life towards God, give your life, you know, align your life up with the will of God, and then he preached the invitation to enter the kingdom of God by the gospel, and the third thing was to heal people. Telling people about Jesus in the early church in the book of Acts and what he accomplished on the cross always involved doing good. One of the earliest ways that the church did this was through generosity. Money was raised to take care of the poor and the widows and those in need. Possessions were sold. There were collections that were taken. There was just a sharing of everything. And nobody considered their possessions to be their own. There was this, this generosity, this mindset of generosity that overtook the church. This service mentality of serving people and changing the world and, and making it a better place through the gospel and through gospel-oriented lives is just the opposite of the hoarding mentality that we see happening in our communities through fear because of this pandemic. Our prayer as disciples of Jesus is for our daily bread. As disciples of Jesus, our treasure is in heaven. And here's the thing I'd like to challenge you with in conclusion. With these three, prayer, connectedness, and service in mind, I want to challenge you for the next five days to do three things. We're going to call it three for five. Three things for five days. Three things to do every day for the next five days. First is prayer. Choose the same hour of the day for the next five days. Choose the same hour of the day to pray. 
during this disruption of days, every day feels like Monday, every day feels like Wednesday, and then it's Sunday. During this disruption of days, anchor your life in prayer at the same time each day. That's prayer. Number two, connectedness or fellowship. For the next five days, contact a different person every day. You don't have to do anything special, and it doesn't have to be a written script or, or an agenda, except to just check in, to just say, I'm wondering how you're doing. Let's catch up. Maybe pray together. There may be some encouragement that you can share with one another. But connectedness, fellowship is so important. And if you've not been active in seeing people in, in, in socially responsible ways, if you've not had the opportunity to, to be on the phone or, or to FaceTime people, then over the next five days, take this opportunity to go through the church directory and find somebody every day to call, to make contact with, to encourage, and, and to keep the, the flame of fellowship alive and vibrant and bright in our church. And then finally, service. Let me just simply challenge you for the next five days to give something away every day. Give something away every day to someone in need. It, it, it could be a care bag. It could be you could fix a meal and take it to somebody's house. It could be somebody that you know of that might have lost a job or might have some financial burden right now. Or there might be somebody that uh, that uh, is is uh, not able to mow their lawn or, or to take care of things like that. But but give something away. Serve somebody each day for the next five days. And may God bless our church as we strive to be the church of Christ during this pandemic. Let's pray. Father, bless us to be the continuing story of Jesus to the early church, to the church present in this pandemic. Help us to have wisdom and to be patient and to be mature spiritually and strong in Christ in ways that our connectedness and our service is vibrant. We pray, Father, to be spiritually profound in our prayers. We pray, Father, to be, to be so connected to you that we can say, let evening come. We are so grateful for your grace, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you, and have a great week.